0: Thank you. Thank you, guys. I love Matt's voice. Good to have him leading us this morning. Thanks to all of y'all. Appreciate that. I needed to hear that. Um, I need to hear the words to that song this morning. It's a reminder. A lot of y'all know I lost my dad this week and um, uh, his first Sunday in heaven. And uh, that's what he's doing. He's praising God. And when uh, I'm thankful that I was raised in the church to know that truth. And uh, hear that gospel message and know, um, even when you face stuff like this, we know where our loved ones are. And uh, that's the truth of the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. So thank you all. A lot of y'all expressed um, a lot of love for me and my family this week, and I, I really, really appreciate that. And I'm also thankful for a church where a lot of y'all have been through that before, and um, you know um, the stuff you go through. You know the weird stuff, because I keep thinking, i got to call my dad, and oh, wait a minute, I can't call my dad. You know, um, so y'all know that, and it's good to know. A lot of y'all have said, "Hey, you need to talk." I appreciate that because uh, it's a it's a it's an odd thing. Um, well, we uh, if you weren't here last week, we started a new sermon series, and it's kind of an interesting one. It's has God left the building, and it's godly wisdom in a in a world that knows better. And we kind of last week I walked through that saying, you know, where did that saying come from? Elvis has left the building, and we kind of kind of went through the history of that which was interesting but this is a little different I feel like the the things that we're going through right now in our culture it feels as if God has left the building and we never even knew it and we were so caught up in our own stuff in our own world and we were so busy and yeah we love God and we love Jesus and we go to church and we do this and we do that but really it almost feels like we had put him in a place where he really shouldn't be way on down the list. And it's kind of like all this stuff is happening. We're like, hey, we're, God, aren't you going to give us a cure? Aren't you going to do something about all this? But Now, I know he really hasn't left the building, but it kind of feels like that. And he's trying to maybe wake us up, teach us something. I'm sure you all have had conversations like this, probably, um, and, and, and thinking about what's going on in our world. So we talked about that um, last week. And, and this is actually going to be a series in uh, the book. where It's really a letter... Uh, 1 Corinthians, that Paul wrote to a group of Christ followers in the first century in a real place called Corinth. And we talked a little bit about the background of Corinth, Uh, would have probably been maybe like, I don't know, Las Vegas in our world. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. People were traveling from all over the world coming in and out of Corinth. There were a lot of different uh, cultures coming in and out of Corinth, a lot of different Uh, religions and things, and people talked and philosophized and argued about what was truth and what was not. So all this is going on, and Paul goes to start a church here. He was there for about a year and a half, and he established this church, and there was also a lot of pagan temples in Corinth, Uh, one in particular where there were a thousand prostitutes employed, where you can imagine that was a popular and very lucrative money-making temple there. Everybody wanted to worship there, you know, because it was a lot going on. And so Paul goes in and says, we need to start a church here. These people need Jesus. And he did, and about a year and a half later, he, I mean, a year and a half he spent with them, teaching them about how Jesus can transform your life like he did Paul's. And he got them established, and it really was one of the bigger churches he started. But then he left to go to start another church, and he's getting word back from people that saying, man, things aren't going good in Corinth. People are falling back into their old worldly habits. They're falling back into worldly wisdom rather than godly wisdom. And there's some things going on, and it's it's causing problems in the church. So Paul can't be there physically, so he writes them a letter, which is 1 Corinthians, and things were pretty tough there, so he actually had to write them another letter. But we're going to look at 1 Corinthians and, and, and talk about that. So... Uh, to, to kind of start what we're going to talk about today specifically, I, I wanted to share with you, uh, churches sometimes, people get in arguments about things, don't they? It's probably over your years of going to church, there's been some crazy things that people have argued about in the church. Now let me tell you about one. Um, a few years ago, I was in North Georgia in a little church up in Clarksville, Georgia, and we had a, an opening very similar to this behind uh, up on the stage where the baptistry was, and somebody years and years and years ago had donated this huge picture of Jesus doing this. It was like Touchdown Jesus at Notre Dame. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You've seen the picture? It really was. And it was a beautiful picture. And. So around about the time I became the minister there, uh, the youth minister was wanting to have some youth Sundays, get the youth involved, they were going to do the worship. And, of course, it was a time where we started using words on screen. Some of y'all went through that in your churches, you know, and we, some people had some, some tension about that. So what we want to do is put this motorized screen right there in the middle and, you know, drop it down and let the kids put the words up there, and, and boy, it, it, it was on. Because somebody said, you're not going to drop that screen over Jesus, are you? And I go, what? I said, you know, that's going to cover up Jesus. And I go, yeah, but just for a second while we sing to Jesus. No, you can't cover up Jesus. And I go, it's a picture of Jesus. It's not really Jesus. But it, w- it was like, you mean a smart aleck? You know, I mean, it's like, ooh, and it was on. I mean, it was this conference. I was like, man, They're serious. That picture was given by Mr. So-and-so's grandfather way back in the day. And it was serious. And I'm not making fun of Jesus or the picture. I'm just saying I didn't realize how sacred that was. And people started taking sides. And finally we had to do the the on-the-side thing with one of those you know, tripod things, and it was awkward, but we didn't cover up Jesus. I even made the suggestion, y'all, that why don't we make a slide of the picture of Jesus, and that'll be the background slide for all the pictures. How about that? No, 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 no. That was not the picture of Jesus. Now, we laugh about that, but we've been in churches where all of a sudden, something seemingly not a big deal becomes a big deal, and it starts dividing people in the church. And man, Satan loves that. He thinks that's awesome when people are divided. So I'm going to read you some more church arguments real quickly that I've heard about that really happened. There was an argument in one church over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. <laughs> there was an argument in one church over whether we should use the land out there for a children's playground or a cemetery. Wow. There was a church had an argument decided whether there should be a clock in the worship area at all. Should we be paying attention to that? Um, there was a forty-five minute argument in a board meeting over whether they should purchase a black or brown filing cabinet. <laughs> and then there was a fight over which picture to put of, of Jesus to put in the foyer. There was a lot of different ones, and people were arguing over that. There was a, somebody made a petition to have all the church clean shaven; nobody could have beards. There was an argument over that. <laughs> Um, how about this one? And we can, uh, we can uh, identify with this one because we take communion each week. Some people were upset that they found out they were using cran grape juice instead of just grape juice. Now, we laugh, y'all, but this is real stuff. Um, there was uh, two different churches reported fights over the type of coffee they were serving in the lobby. One was serving Folgers, and they wanted to move to a stronger blend of Starbucks, of course. And uh, in another church, they moved to that stronger blend, and people literally left the church over it. And you think, are you kidding me? But this is how these things happen. A couple others, and then I'll, we'll move on. One was, should the church allow deviled eggs at the church meal? I'm not making this stuff up. This, this came from a guy who's been all over the country. Another one, they had a disagreement. We shouldn't call it pot luck dinners. We should call it pot blessing dinners. Seriously? I mean, it's just crazy. Now, I could go on and on, uh, but here's the deal. Sometimes we do have to make a decision about things in the church, don't we? If someone in the leadership, if if the preacher, if a teacher, if someone is not teaching God's word, and you realize, wait a minute, what they just said is not God's word well, i gotta, I got to say something about that and talk to the preacher, talk to the leadership. And when that is not being done, then yes, sometimes you have to make difficult decisions to not be a part of something you know is absolutely... Now, I'm not talking about that kind of stuff, because that happens, and some of y'all have been a part of that, and I understand. And uh, But I'm talking about these other things we've been talking about seem crazy. Well, Paul is going to talk about something similar that seems crazy, but people were literally arguing about it. Now, if you remember last week, I talked about uh, Paul in this first part of the letter. He talks about it's either this or that. When people hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ and they hear about Jesus, the Son of God, dying on this cross, for some people that's foolishness. That doesn't make any sense. Why would God die on a cross? That doesn't make sense. It's foolishness to them. So It doesn't make sense. He says, for those who are perishing, he says, it's foolishness. But he said, for those who are being saved, the thought that God would die for us is such a powerful message of love and grace that transforms us. But then he put it another way. It's a stumbling block, he said, for Jewish people because they were legalistic, rules-oriented, and they thought, I can earn my way to heaven. I don't need a savior So it was a stumbling block to them, Jesus and the cross. But for the Gentiles, people who had many gods, and gods don't come down to earth and be servants. They don't wash people's feet, they don't heal people, and they certainly don't get nailed to a cross. They're gods. That's foolishness to the rest of the world, but to people who were being saved... It was Christ. It was a powerful transformation. That love and that grace was transforming them. So I told you last week, there's five basic issues that Paul has to address head on in this particular church. One was divisions that were happening in the church. And that's what we're going to focus on today. Then there was sexual issue. There were food issue. There were worship things going on in worship. And when they got together for other times, things that were going on. And then ultimately, there was an issue at the end of this letter about the resurrection and did Jesus actually rise from the dead? This was actually some discussions that were going on. So Paul says, we're going to address all these issues because y'all need to know the truth and allow this truth to set you free. So we're going to talk about specifically um, this division that was going on that he mentioned a little bit last week. Um, but I want to. Uh, we're going to have up on the on the screen here just a little bit of chapter 2. Not that chapter 2 is not important, but I'm going to kind of move through uh, from chapter 1 last week to chapter 3 today. But I'm going to read the last part of chapter 2 as Paul gives another comparison, and he talks about a person in the flesh, worldly wisdom, or somebody who has moved and been transformed into, now I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to um, transform my thinking, and that's how I live in the spirit or in the flesh. He goes, again, it's that either-or thing. So he says this, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For, and he quotes here from Isaiah 40, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Again, he's saying, do we really think our wisdom can trump God's wisdom? He's the Creator, Who knows the mind of God as to instruct him on how things... Well, I know what you said, God, but this is the way it should be. He says, but we... He's talking about people who were followers of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit now has transformed not only my heart, but my thinking. The way I look at everything now is through the lens of Jesus and his life and his death and his teaching and his resurrection. That's how I look at everything That I look at now. So he mentions that just to start. And then he gets into chapter 3. I know this is kind of lengthy, but I want you to listen carefully to what was going on in this church. Listen to what he says. Chapter 3 Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready, you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes it grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it, but each one should build Now listen, this is very important, this verse right here. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold or silver, costly stone, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple." Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. So, I know that was long, and we're going to try to digest some of that. But, but Paul is saying, I'm evaluating your church. I'm getting all these things that are happening in your church, and they shouldn't be, y'all. So, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put them through Jesus' teaching and the lens through Christ and God's Word and His wisdom so that we can specifically deal with this division thing. And he says, he first says, you know what, y'all are living worldly again you're like living like little babies it's cute when a baby has a bottle when they're little and they take that bottle and we go oh it's a baby in that cute. they're hungry they give them a bottle but if you see a 10 year old kid sucking a bottle you're going okay that's just weird that kid needs to grow up I don't know what's wrong with their that mama and daddy but they need to get that kid under control he needs to at least have a sippy cup by now and if we see someone, even our own kids, we struggle when we want them to be a little further ahead than we think they should be maturity-wise, and they're not, then we struggle with that. Because like, you know, we've poured into them. They should know to, to, to mature a little bit faster, and we get frustrated with that. And we want them to be where they are, not still as a teenager still acting like a baby, not as an adult woman or man still acting like a teenager. And we want people to move forward. And so you've got to understand Paul saying, man, I love you guys, but y'all are not where I hoped you would be by now. I gave you milk to start out with, but by now you ought to be eating solid food, and you're not. You're becoming worldly again. And notice he even says mere humans. You go, well, Paul, they are mere humans. But he's going, wait a minute. When you become a follower of Jesus, you are not just a mere human anymore. You are a transformed human with Christ now living in you. Remember Paul said in another letter, it's no longer Christ that lives, but now Christ lives in you, in me. We have been transformed. But he says, how do you know we're babies? How do you know we're infants? He says, because of the quarreling and the jealousy that I hear. Y'all are arguing like the world. You're going by their standards, their mindset, the flesh. You're living in the flesh rather than in the spirit. And you're ignoring God's wisdom. You're arguing over who's the best teacher, me or Apollos or Peter That's not what this is about, taking sides over the person who led you to believe in Jesus. Just because I led you to Christ doesn't mean I'm I'm the person you should be worshiping Jesus. And he says, the world shows favoritism like that. They worship heroes. We don't worship. We only have one we worship, and that's Jesus. And this is creating division. And he goes, not in the body of Christ. Now, y'all realize how division starts. If we all can be on the same page about something, everybody, it creates this huge snowball effect of what can we do if we're all on the same page. It's fantastic. But as soon as somebody can create division right in the middle of something, then all of a sudden that big snowball gets turned into two halves or even more than that. And then the momentum stops. You realize throughout history that's what people do. In order to control the masses, we've got to create division. I don't know, kind of things like Republican and Democrat, mask or no mask. If we can create division in people, then we can control them differently. And that's how we do that sometimes. And Paul's saying that should not be in the church. We're all one in Christ. Yeah, we can have different thoughts about things, but ultimately we need to be unified in who Christ is and not be setting up a teacher who led me to Christ as somebody that we follow. You don't follow me. Notice he's not saying, don't follow Apollos or Peter, follow me. No, he's saying, hey, we were all just people who brought you to Christ but we are not Christ. We says, he says we are servants of the Lord, accomplishing the task that God gave us, planting, watering, and I would even add a few more agriculture words, cultivating, fertilizing. Anybody that likes to do that kind of stuff, you know how all of that's important. But ultimately, even when you do all that stuff, have you ever watered something, fertilized something, and it still died? Anybody done that? I have. And you have no explanation because you realize it's God that gives the increase, and that's what Paul's saying. God brings the increase, only Him. Because if I brought the increase, if Apollos brought the increase, if Peter brought the increase, then we'd be going, look at us, how many people we brought to Christ. We don't bring people to Christ, we introduce them to Christ. And the Holy Spirit takes over and brings them ultimately to Christ. So why is this hero worship dangerous? Well, it's causing divisions in the church. And he says there's only one foundation and that foundation has already been laid and that's Jesus Christ. His life, his teaching, his death and his resurrection. And we can build on that but be careful what you build on that because that's the foundation. Because he said some people build with silver, with gold, with costly stones. Some with hay and wood or straw. But be careful what you're building on top of that foundation because if you cover up that foundation then it's really not Jesus. And we know through the years... There's been preachers or evangelists or even teachers who are teaching about Jesus. But then all of a sudden, they get into some teaching on top of that. And people start going, is that, is that right? That, that sounds weird. And then people start kind of, wait a minute, that's not, that's not the Word. That's not, what, that's not what the God's Word said. And they start putting things on top of that. And finally we find out those people had different motives. They wanted power. They were preaching Jesus, but they wanted power. They wanted money. And we've seen that, maybe televangelists or things like that. And later there's some kind of a scandal and you realize that person's motives were not pure. They were building on that foundation. They were trying to draw people to them or to their church rather than to Jesus. And Paul's saying, You can't have that. We can't do that. Only God brings the growth. We're fellow laborers. We are servants. We're working together with one purpose, and that's to present Jesus to people so that it can transform their lives. And so he says, ultimately, God will bring motives into light. So what does Paul want them to do, to realize that you are God's temple, he said. Now think about it. The temple in this culture in Corinth was something very important. Every time they walked down the street, they saw all these different temples to different gods, and people would go there, and you would go into the temple like we came into the building today, and we're going to do our, our worship. We're going to do our religion in this temple, and then when we walk out, we're going to do whatever it is else we do. And he's saying that was a big part of God's old covenant The the temple, the synagogue. And it was huge and it was fancy and it pointed to God. But when the new covenant came, the temple is not where God resides. He resides inside of you and inside of me, he said. You are God's temple. Think about that. And in the Greek, I'm not going to tell you the two words because I can't pronounce them. But there were two words used for temple. One was... The entire complex, that was the word that was used. That means the whole complex and the the Jewish temple was huge in Jerusalem. If you've ever seen a model of that, it's, it's unbelievable how big all the different parts there were. But this is not the word that he uses here. It's not that for the entire complex. It's the other Greek word, which means the inner sanctuary where the center of divine activity is. And Paul, there's no mistake that he uses this particular word. You are God's temple, you are the center of God's divine activity. Think about that. God wants to use you and your life and me and my life for the center of his divine activity. Does that scare anybody? That's a lot of responsibility. God is using you and me for His divine activity. We're supposed to reflect that to the rest of the world. How am I doing with that right now? And all that's going on in our world, how am I reflecting God's sacredness and His divine activity in my life? He's making this profound statement that inside of you is this center Of this divine activity. You should reflect that in your words. I should reflect that in my words. In my actions. In my reactions. God's activity is sacred. Therefore, I am sacred. If he's chosen me to put that inside of me. And therefore, if I believe God is sacred. And I am sacred. Then that's the way I look at you and other humans. Is that because God is sacred. And he made you and he made me. We're all sacred. And if I can look at every human being as sacred. It changes the way I see people regardless of how they act. And then Paul closes with some more instruction and reminders about worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. He's saying you got to be careful. Y'all are falling back into that old stuff. Don't deceive yourselves. He says become a fool to worldly standards in order to be truly wise by God's standards. Now what that means, have you ever been talking to somebody about an issue and you present the godly version of that, a biblical view of that, and they act like you're an idiot? makes you mad, doesn't it? You want to say something ugly, don't you? <laughs> but it's true. When you present the message of God in His Word, it is contrary to the rest of the world. And when somebody hears like, go, Yeah, I, I get that. But this is the this is 2020. I know how Paul and them did things in, in the first century. Let me tell you, there was nothing going on. And there's nothing going on in this century that they didn't deal with. Oh, Craig, wait a minute. They have we have computers, they didn't. No, I get that. But there was still some crazy stuff going on that is very applicable to us. And so he says, become a fool to those worldly standards. Be glad when people say you're a fool when your standards are different than theirs in order that you will be wise by God's standards. He says, all things are yours. You have access to God's wisdom. It is available to you. And you have these different teachers. And he he mentions himself and Apollos. And Peter again, he says Cephas, but that was another name for Peter. But let me just tell you a little bit about Paul. It would have been great to say, Paul was the guy who led me to Christ. Can you imagine saying that Paul led you to Christ? I mean, Paul has this incredible testimony, how he was arresting and and helping kill Christians. And then all of a sudden, God on the road to Damascus shone this light and said, What are you doing? I've got a whole new job for you, because that isn't what I called you to do. So to know that he was this missionary and had this calling from God, man, that would be sick. oh Yeah, well, Paul baptized me. Paul said, "That's I'm just a servant. And then there was uh, Apollos he talks about. And Apollos was this guy who was... Actually, when we look at Acts 18, which is about these missionary journeys, it tells us that Paul, when he's writing this letter to the Corinthians, that Apollos is probably right there with him. And he goes, hey, Apollos, can you believe that back in Corinth, those people are arguing about who's greater, who they follow, me or you? And he's going, no, tell me that's not happening. He goes, write the letter, dude. Write it now. Straighten them out. So he knew this was going on, but Apollos was this guy who was very scholarly. He studied in Alexandria in Egypt. Now we go, yeah, okay, Alexandria. But if you had says, I'm going. If one of you said, I'm going to Harvard Law School in the fall, we'd be going, whoa you must be really smart if you got into Harvard Law School. It was kind of like that. So people knew where Apollo studied. He was scholarly, and he was a very persuasive teacher. And people wanted to say, hey, he's the one who led me to Christ. And then, of course, there was Peter, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Who wouldn't want to say, hey, he led me to Christ. He was closest to Jesus. He was with him for three years. He was really, really tight with Jesus. And Jesus told him that he was the one you know, that, that made that confession of Christ, and he was the one that... That he encouraged him to go feed my sheep. That's the guy who led me to Christ. And he's like, none of that matters, y'all. Don't get into worldly thinking. But God's wisdom is available to you. These three teachers, you need to listen to Peter. You need to listen to Apollos. You need to listen to me. All three of us are saying the same foundation. Jesus is where you need to put the lens. You need to focus your lens on everything you look at in culture through God's word. And and say, "What what does God's word say about that? How do I evaluate that? And then he finally says, you are of Christ. Again, remind us, Christ is in you and you act differently. You reflect different things. Christ is of God. So, my question to us today is, if Paul were to write us a letter today, what would his letter to this church say to us? if he were to evaluate, if he would listen to our conversations right now, if he went to lunch with you or with me and my family today and my friends or whatever, and he heard the conversations we were having around the table about COVID, about school starting, about politics, about sports, about whatever it is, what would Paul go? Would he say, man, you guys are still babies sucking on the bottle. You need to grow up. I don't know. But we need to think about that. What are the divisions that we have going on in our world right now, y'all? How about political? But notice we do that. All the ads right now, have you noticed these ads? If you vote for this guy, oh, we're going to all go to hell in a handbasket. If you go to vote for this guy, we're all going to hell in a handbasket. I know some of you are going, we're dang right. And we have different views on that. But ultimately, when we say that either that guy's going to lead us or that guy's going to lead us, what, what are we saying? God doesn't have any control over this stuff? How about racially? We have, yeah, I thought things were getting better, but yeah, we've swept a lot of that under the rug and hope it doesn't come out again. But we have different views on that. And if it, Satan is loving this, y'all. He's going, this is awesome. I'm dividing people left and right. It's great. Because people aren't coming to unity in Christ, they're being divided, even in the church. Because you think, hey, wait a minute, you're going to vote for him? Wait a minute, you think that about racial things? Well, you're not my friend anymore. This idea that you think and feel is now you as a person, and I can't stand you anymore. And I go to church with you. Oh, there they are. I'm not talking to them. They're one of those. Do we not do this? And Satan's going, this is great. Get people divided. Mask or no mask. Oh, you're an idiot if you wear a mask. Oh, you're, you're going to kill somebody if you're not wearing a mask. This virus thing, it's just all a conspiracy theory. It's all political. It'll kill you. And we, we're divided over that. Do we open the schools? Do we not open the schools? Did y'all hear? I wasn't in Gwinnett County where one night the parents were going, start school back. You got to start. They were protesting. Start school back. Get our kids out of our house. They're driving us crazy. And then the teachers the next night were honking their horns going, no, do not put us in there with all those kids. We're going to get COVID. What? I mean, is this not nuts? I don't know what's going to happen, but we've divided. Some people have told me we were crazy how dangerous it is for us opening up the church. We're going to kill somebody. Is that right? But it causes division, and the devil loves that. Football season, should we have it? Well, yes, I need a diversion. Oh, well, should we have it? And we create divisions. Are we worldly in our views, Paul would say? Or no, you're on the right track. Where do we get our information? I bet Paul would say, where do you get that? Is that from the Bible? Well, i listen to Fox News all day or CNN all day. That's where you have to look at that through the lens of the Bible. I get my information from Facebook. Well, I saw on Facebook several posts on that. Well, that means it's true. I saw it on Twitter, and some uh, sports guy or some uh, movie star or some rock star said this. Well, it's got to be true. We must consistently read God's Word, study God's Word, and meditate on God's Word, and say, Holy Spirit, help me to discern this. It's hard, y'all. I know it's hard. I talk to my daughters about a lot of these issues, and I get frustrated. I don't always, always have the best attitude, but I'm trying to get them to say, please... I know there's a lot of smart-sounding people out there, but what does God's Word say? It has to line up with that. And if we're divided, we're not as strong. When we are controlled easier... And don't let people divide you even. And I encourage conversations about these issues, y'all. I'm not saying don't have these issues. But face-to-face and when you do have somebody that sees it very differently than you, you should be able to say, you know what? That's one way of looking at it. But this is the way I look at it. And this is what God's Word says about that. And I believe that's true. And this is why I believe that. And leave it at that. No, I'm never going to lunch with them again. It's important. To let people know what we believe and why we believe it. We can be deceived into believing the next big story is either a win for us. You see that headline? That means we're winning. No, we're not winning. If the whole human race is not winning, we're not winning. If everybody's not safer, we're not winning. We've been called, he said, according to God's purpose. He says in Romans, all things... God is working in all things, in all things, good, bad, indifferent, things we understand, things we don't understand. God is working in all those things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And guess who's called according to His purpose? All of us. God created all of us and He called us according to His purpose. And to have God's Spirit live in us as the center of divine activity... I ask us this morning, what's coming out of your center, of my center of divine activity? When people hear me talk, when they hear me explain my belief system, do they hear anger and division or do they hear me maturing? Do they feel Jesus' grace? Do they feel Jesus' love coming and reflecting from my conversation? Even when I disagree with them, probably especially when I disagree with them, they need to see God's love and grace. So I want to encourage this this morning. And maybe there's somebody here today that needs to get rid of all this stuff you've heard and say the very foundation is, ultimately, is that we need a Savior. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we need a Savior. And maybe somebody for the first time needs to lay that foundation that doesn't need anything else on top of it, but that Jesus died for you, He rose for you, now you're forgiven of your sin, and you can start living according to the purpose He called you for, and you can live in eternity with Him. That's the gospel message in a nutshell. And if somebody needs to make that decision today, we want to invite you to do that. So we're getting ready to go into a time of communion. And if you'd like to talk, I'm going to be right here. I'd be glad to talk to you. If you want to talk after the service or later this week, I'd be glad to talk with you. There's people around you that are Christians that can walk you through that as well. But please talk to somebody if you're thinking about that. But don't just let that be again. I say this all the time. Some fleeting thought that, hey, I really ought to get my life in order. No, get your life in order. I told my dad, Monday afternoon, I'm taking you to the doctor at 9.30 in the morning. I'll see you then. I'm never going to see him again, except in heaven. I didn't know that was going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know. So you need to know where your foundation is. You need to know that there is going to be a death sometime in in your life. And you're going to go either spend eternity with God or you're going to be separated eternally from Him. And you need to know that. You need to think about that. So if you need to make that decision, we're going to offer that. But we're also going to go into a time of communion.